This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to the Explorathon podcast, a chance for you to hear about some of the latest research projects coming from the University of Aberdeen. Explorathon 2021 is a programme of events, online content and activities being brought to you by the University of Aberdeen and other Scottish universities as part of European Researchers Night, which this year takes place on Friday the 24th of September. European Researchers Night is a Europe-wide public festival which brings researchers closer to the public. All events run as part of Explorathon 21 can be found on the website at www.explorathon.co.uk and the programme is funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Granted Agreement 101036101. After listening today, please let us know any comments or feedback by tagging us on Twitter using the hashtag Explorathon21. Preclinical and clinical trials are an essential part of the process in developing new drugs and treatments for diseases and conditions. This panel session discusses the stages that researchers must follow in order to bring new drugs and treatments to market. I'm joined by Dr. Sadaf Ashraf, Research Fellow in the Arthritis and Regenerative Medicine Laboratory, Dr. Gail Morrow, who's an Honorary Research Fellow in Haematology and Cardiovascular Medicine, and Dr. Elizabeth Hay, a Research Fellow in the Arthritis and Regenerative Medicine Laboratory. So first of all, Sadaf, can you give me a brief introduction to your research interests? Um, so a significant proportion of my research is on enhancing our understanding of arthritis pain and improving its treatment. Joint pain is associated um, with arthritis is a substantial unmet medical need worldwide and the leading cause of disability in ageing population, yet how this pain occurs remains poorly understood. Interestingly, some individuals still experience joint pain even after taking medications and following joint replacement surgery, highlighting the need to better understand how arthritis-associated joint damage and pain occurs so that new treatments can be made available, especially for those in whom current ones are failing, and that's what I'm researching on at the moment. And Gail, can you tell me a bit about your research interests? I am a postdoc researcher in haematology, which is the study of blood. My research focuses on the biochemical processes involved in breaking down a blood clot and how this differs in patients with bleeding disorders such as haemophilia or those with a major traumatic injury. I mainly study how transfusion of different blood products stops the bleeding after an injury. And this is important because bleeding caused by an injury is the leading cause of death in persons under 44 and it is preventable. And Elizabeth, can you give us an overview of your, your work? I'm a research fellow in the Arthritis and Regenerative Medicine Lab. One form of arthritis that we study is osteoarthritis, where cartilage in the joint breaks down, causing pain and stiffness in the affected joints. Osteoarthritis has a high prevalence in the UK, affecting around 9 million people. But what causes it is not well understood. 
My research focuses on the genomic regulation of stem cells in our joint tissue. These are the cells which can give rise to new joint tissue. In gaining an understanding of this, we aim to better understand what causes osteoarthritis, and this may help in developing new therapies to treat osteoarthritis and maintain healthy joints. So obviously a core part of your work is trying to develop new treatments um, and therapies to treat the conditions that you're investigating. Can you talk through the process you have to follow in order to get these treatments from discovery to actual use? Gail? So first off, we have to test the treatment or therapy in what we call an in vitro system. So in vitro is Latin for in glass and essentially means we can carry it out in a test tube. So in my field, we tend to take blood samples from healthy volunteers and process it to obtain the blood plasma, a yellow liquid which makes up 50% of a person's blood volume. The important point here is it's a very simplified and purified system and allows us to study the treatment in a very basic experiment. We can then move on to incorporating blood cells and then things like blood flow. So our experiment will be performed under conditions which mimic the blood flow of an artery or a vein. We can also use samples taken from a specific group of patients to help understand our research question. If the clinical trial is successful, then the drug can be licensed for use in the area um, that the trial was testing. If we want to use the drug in another area, a different trial must take place. Elizabeth, maybe you tell us a bit more. Um, so in general, uh, initially research needs to be done in the lab to understand the causes of a disease and its progression. So this may lead to the identification of a biological target. So for example, this could be a protein involved in the pathology of a disease. And in addition, animal models can be designed uh, where a gene is removed or knocked out, um, as we would say, uh, to help researchers identify the role of that gene. So then drugs can be designed against that biological target. Um, and these will be tested in, in many different tests in the lab, uh, for example, to determine whether it binds to the target. And also at this stage, um, unwanted effects would be monitored. Um, so for example, um, whether the drug that's being tested has any other targets which could cause safety issues um, could be identified at early stages. Um, and the, the dosage of the drug, um, how it's absorbed and excreted would be tested and potential drug candidates would then proceed to preclinical testing. Uh, this would determine the toxicity or potential serious adverse effects of the drug before testing in humans. As Gail said, successful candidate drugs would then proceed to clinical trials where, where they would be tested in humans to assess whether they work and whether they are safe. And Sadaf, you obviously work in a similar field to Elizabeth. What do you view as, as the key stages between the initial research to get into being a licensed treatment? No, exactly like what Gail and Elizabeth were saying before, with any medical condition, I think identifying first the target molecule that you're interested in and which will be most beneficial in clinics is, is the key um, point. Once you've narrowed down um, that particular target model, then you have to go through stages of, like Gail was saying, you first use the in vitro models, and like Elizabeth said, then you go into 
larger models and then into clinical trials. For example, um, I am currently trying to understand the role of pain mediators in arthritis. And pain mediators are signals released by cells in the joint in response to injury. And they work by binding to specialized proteins on the surface of other cells, much like a lock and key. So in arthritis, the levels of these pain mediators increase, changing the behavior of the surrounding cells, thereby enhancing pain and joint damage. But we still don't know how these pain mediators work, and there are many pain mediators. And like Gail said, um, a lot of the times uh, these targets, they work really well in preclinical models. And when you take them into the clinical trials, uh, they don't have the optimum effect that you see. And one of the key um, things that need to be done is trying these um, target molecules in different models, different disease models. So not just one disease model, but those models that are that better mimic the human condition. And also, like Gail and Elizabeth mentioned uh, before, the whole process of taking a drug from laboratory research into um, clinical trials and for human use takes years. It can take up to 15 to 20 years. Um, for example, even with the clinical trials, you need like a phase one, a phase two and a phase three clinical trial. So you increase the number of volunteers in each step. Um, and even the preclinical models or laboratory based testing can take around 10 years to um, do. So the whole process is extremely um, long in that sense. Yeah, so you've touched on it's it being a long process. I would imagine it's also administratively a challenging process. Elizabeth, can you tell us about what you need to do in terms of um, permissions in order to conduct the, the preclinical trials that you do? Yeah. Um, so the process of medical research and drug discovery is highly regulated. Uh, the ethics of many research projects needs to be reviewed and approved prior to research taking place, for example, in studies requiring human volunteers. Um, and licenses, which would be issued by UK Home Office, are required to undertake animal research. And there are strict training requirements in order to do animal research as well. Um, researchers are also constantly considering the three R's for animal research. So that's replacement, reduction and refinement. So they so they consider using methods to replace animals in research and to minimize the numbers of animals used by um, and they can do this by designing robust re reproducible experiments and analyzing the data appropriately. So animal welfare is always at the forefront of research and ultimately a high standard of animal welfare leads to high quality research. No, definitely. Um, we need to ensure that the right paperwork and ethics are in place to do the work. Um, for example, for the cell based assays, especially if you are getting these cells from human donors or from the tissues of blood, we need to ensure that these procedures are regulated and consent from the donors is, is obtained as per the Human Tissue Act to ensure that all the ethics and legislation that are set up by the government are being followed. And also the individuals collecting those human tissues, they need to be appropriately trained and qualified as well. Um, the institution and the research department also needs to have the appropriate project license in place. Gil, do you have anything to add? 
Yeah, so my research focuses more on um, samples from humans. So it's also, there's a lot of um, intensive ethical applications for human studies as well. And even once that is approved, um, there's a lot of work when you're recruiting the volunteers and making sure you're providing them with the right information and enough information about the study. So, you know, a week, a, perhaps a week before you want to take a blood sample from a healthy volunteer, you have to um, send through an inf your information sheet on the study and give them time to read it. Um, and then also time to ask the researcher any questions and decide whether they want to take part or not. Um, they then have to provide uh, written and verbal consent. Even more difficult is taking samples um, from patients. So people who are admitted to hostel might always not always be conscious or they might if they are conscious, they might be very sick and not able to provide written or verbal consent to take part in a research study or a clinical trial. Um, so there's also, you know, a, a lot of work goes into that. Um, a lot of the time we're able to take a research sample or a sample for part of a trial um, while we're taking routine blood samples. And then when the patient then recovers and feels better, um, they can decide whether they want to take part in the study. If they don't want to take part, the sample is destroyed um, and we're not allowed to use it. But if they do, we can then process it in the lab um, for our experiments. Um, so yes, that's something that's that's always always very difficult um, and obviously very important to obtain the samples for research and for the clinical trials, but it's it's not easy um, by any means. Just to add to that, there's one thing um, that's really important and that takes a long time as well is getting approval from the FDA, so the Food and Drug Administration. So once all of these drug targets have been identified, um, we need to sort of get other scientists involved, like the chemist, for example, who can make those drugs and then they need to be approved by the FDA before they can be used in humans. So all of these considerations um, need to be um, sort of taken on board before drug can go from lab-based research into clinical clinics. And, and Sada, is, is lab-based research necessary prior to treatments being taken to clinical trials? What would be the implications if you didn't conduct preclinical trials? No, definitely. I think the preclinical work is the initial step in um, taking a drug target um, into humans because um, all of these preclinical pre research, like um, Lisa and Gail mentioned before, will identify the right drug target. You're able to understand the exact mechanism of action if there are any side effects related to that particular drug target. And we need to test these drugs in various models and those models that are most closer to humans and they mimic the human condition in the best possible way. And I think that's where we need to use more than one model. So we need to use models which are cell-based assays as well as using maybe 3D assays where you are growing an artificial organ outside of the human body. Um, and now there are a lot of initiatives where um, what Gail works on, as well as stem cells that Liz works on, is that where you, where you are getting the human cells and then you're using them to understand the mechanisms of action. So um, all of these um, need to be regulated and satisfied before the FDA can give you approval for that particular drug to be used in humans. 
so yeah it's extremely important but there are challenges involved with it um but and so moving on how can we increase the understanding and acceptance of, of your concepts into delivery in research? Why is it that drugs work, some drugs that work really well in preclinical models don't do that well when they go into clinical trials? Elizabeth? So I think um, collaboration between academia and industry is often required for getting a, a concept or a treatment to the clinic. Um, pharmaceutical companies the resources to do more high throughput research uh, and get treatments to clinic. Um, so a recent example of this would be the Oxford AstraZeneca collaboration for the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, in terms of why drugs that work well in preclinical pre models don't do so well in clinical trials, that's often uh, maybe a lack of effectiveness of the drug in the humans. Um, and problems with safety profiles of the treatments in clinical trials um, and these would would not have been predicted um, from the preclinical studies um, so often this is likely to be because animal models may not be fully representative of of a human disease or or how the human body works and gail do you have any thoughts um, yeah, I agree what um, Liz was saying about the collaboration between industry and academia is important. But I think as well, um, the collaboration between uh, clinicians and scientists is also important in all medical fields. There are many examples where clinicians and scientists work completely independently. But in my experience and opinion, it works better um, to have a team mixed um, from medical clinicians and, and scientists because it brings about a stronger data set and you work together to bring about change for patients and improve the treatments. And I guess, just as Liz said, that in vitro models can't always fully replicate the physiological conditions in the human body. So I guess that's why um, quite often they fail to, to work in humans after being so successful. And Sada. You know, I think that's absolutely right. And one way to uh, maybe um, avoid that or to minimise this sort of um, lack of translational validity that we have is by um, looking at the phase of the disease as well, because sometimes treatments, they work better in early disease if you detect the disease early on, or they might work better um, in the later sort of therapeutic window. So having the right animal models where we are testing the drugs in the right time frame, I think is also important. And like Gail and Liz mentioned, is that collaborative effort within academia as well and within different diseases. Like, for example, um, inflammation is like a core component of arthritis, but it is also a part of cardiovascular disease and a lot of other diseases as well. So like I said before, I think targeting drugs and testing them in different disease models is another way of reducing this sort of lack of validity between preclinical and clinical research. And so the research lab environment is changing in response to new technologies. How are the new technologies such as artificial intelligence impacting on clinical and preclinical trials? Gail? Yeah, so artificial intelligence to identify an algorithm to stratify patients has been a huge part 
uh, <laughs> huge part of research in any field. Um, so in my field, for example, um, researchers in my institute recently developed an algorithm to identify patients who attended the GP who may be positive for a deep vein thrombosis, so a blood clot in their leg or DVT, and require an ultrasound. Um, this has been very accurate at predicting a positive blood clot, so greater than 90%. So this means that the clinics are now more manageable um, and more time with the patients who need it. Um, there's also studies going on where um, patients who are likely to bleed are being predicted um, by their routine blood tests um, and that minimises unnecessary blood transfusions. So there's a lot of um, preclinical studies um, using artificial intelligence um, to support and provide evidence for, for larger clinical trials. And Sada, what about in your area of research? So I think um, new technologies such as artificial intelligence um, are enabling us to better screen for subtle changes within the tissues, which we may have otherwise overlooked with the conventional tools that we routinely use in the laboratory. Um, they also enable us to maximise data output from our studies as well. For example, a study published last, last year only by a team of American scientists have shown that machine learning or artificial intelligence was instrumental in detecting early signs of osteoarthritis. So like Gail said, using machine learning algorithms, the team were able to train a system to automatically differentiate between people who may progress to, to arthritis and those who may not. Um, so like I mentioned before, treating arthritis early on and identifying that window of opportunity is critical um, and through machine learning and artificial intelligence we can achieve that goal. Um, I have recently teamed up with Nanostring and University of York as well as the University of Nottingham to use the digital spatial profiler which maps changes in the whole tissue and is far superior than the conventional method that we routinely use in the laboratory. So using this technique, I hope to better screen joint tissues for subtle changes that we may otherwise overlook and that can help identify patients. And we can later on um, put them into subgroups for personalised medicine, which is going to be far superior than the current treatment that we have available. And Elizabeth, have you got anything to add? So um, another technology which has the potential to impact clinical research is the reprogramming of stem cells. So um, the reprogram reprogramming of stem cells into any cell type has the potential to more accurately predict the effectiveness of a treatment in the earlier stages of research. So researchers could therefore have a specific type of human cells in a dish in the lab without the need for primary cells. So those would be cells that would be donated by patients and would therefore be in limited supply. So we're now running out of time for today's session, but is there anything you want to sum up or highlight part of a closing remark? Gail? Yeah, so I think we've mainly talked about the difficulties of getting treatments through clinical trials, but I think it's important to highlight the, there's many success stories within all fields of medical research. Um, so specifically in haematology, recently gene therapy has been used to treat haemophilia patients. Um, the gene therapy trials are still ongoing, but many patients are essentially cured. Um, 
The gene therapy is a perfect example of medicine that started in a test tube in the most basic scientific model and has translated into humans successfully. And this is how personalised medicine will progress in the future. And Elizabeth? Well, currently patients with osteoarthritis uh, receive treatment for the pain and in advanced osteoarthritis, they may receive joint replacements. But there aren't any treatments that slow the progression of the disease at, the, at present. Um, so I think we need to better understand the causes of the disease in order to develop treatments for it. And that's where um, research into stem cells in the joint comes in. So if we can understand how stem cells work in repairing damaged tissue in the joint, we can potentially identify drug targets to be able to stimulate this joint repair. Sadaf, Elizabeth, Gail, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you found today's podcast interesting. But for now, thanks for joining us. And keep an eye out for our other Explorathon podcasts being launched throughout September. As I said at the beginning, we'd love to get your comments and feedback on today's podcast. So please use the hashtag Explorathon21 to tag us on social media. If you're interested in finding out more about the other events taking place as part of Explorathon 2021, then you can visit the website at www.explorathon.co.uk. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.